Here we go, Hour 2. Great day for talk radio. we got a panel coming up. Topics worthy of discussion. Boy, there's so many. Donald Trump, of course, as he misspoke, and uh, whether or not that's a credible defense. Uh, we're going to find out how the panel feels about that as they weigh in shortly. Alyssa Freeman, Kevin Gadet, Rocco Rossi. A uh, lot of other things Doug Ford announcing today, special inquiry to look at the books and uh, see going forward uh, how we might remediate the situation because we're in a deep hole here in Ontario, as you full well know. Now, insofar as other matters are concerned, uh, there are some interesting lawsuits that are flying around, and I guess that becomes a, sort of a connect-the-dots uh, scenario here with three stories that I wanted to share or at least bring to the attention with the help of a legal expert. And of course, that would be Joe Newberger with Newberger and Partners. He's also AM640's uh, legal expert on matters. Joe, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm great, John. How are you? Likewise, fine. You know, there's a story here. Uh, I was uh, talking about it earlier in the last hour where it's kind of interesting that you've got an individual who obtained Canadian citizenship. He came over in the 90s, uh, he's from Nigeria. And uh, apparently, uh, he does have a fairly lengthy rap sheet as well for things like fraud, misrepresentation. Uh, forgery. Yeah, forgery. Uh, the hits just keep on coming. But uh, apparently, he was pulled over last June, I believe it was. And uh, the Canada Border Service Agency thought he was somebody else, uh, even saying as much that uh, he matched the fingerprints of another individual, which seems, uh, you know, really kind of interesting that you would have fingerprints that matched but nonetheless uh they kept him in detention for eight months and to cut to the chase now he's suing for 12.5 mil or his lawyer is uh saying they got it wrong he's after all a canadian citizen what are you to make of this story i mean is it just uh is that even something that uh is proportional 12.5 million for this kind of detention when he apparently had some people willing to vouch for him, even put up bail, that kind of thing, but he was incarcerated for eight months. Yeah, the amount's excessive, because we've seen with wrongful conviction cases, um, quantums that are given far under $12.5 million. So we've, we've seen $2 million, and I think we've seen $3 million. So the quantum is excessive, but the lawsuit has merit and is legitimate. And I think it underscores a problem with the immigration system when there are uh, individuals who are held but are not deemed a risk. Um, bail should be granted fairly easily if you have sureties who will come forward who are substantial. There's a meaningful release plan and there's money which is posted. And in this case, what this seems to really uh, dig at is that the individuals who were uh, on the panel for the detention reviews and for the what essentially called the bail hearings uh, simply rubber stamp whatever Immigration Canada is saying without any type of real analysis of the situation. And eight months incarcerated when you're not the person that they're claiming you are is very significant and is a, a breach of somebody's uh, rights under the Charter. All right, and so uh, I guess the fall guys in all of this would be the IRB uh, and their, the lawyer for this individual, this gentleman, originally from Nigeria, suggesting uh, this happens all the time, or at least uh, they're not qualified to make these kinds of calls, and yet they have the power or the wherewithal to do so. Yeah, look, it's an interesting question. I'm not as familiar with the makeup of the, the board itself. I, I happen to sit on a, a, a provincial board myself, and we have individuals who are lawyers and former judges, and everybody is of fairly significant background and experience. So I'm not sure who are on these boards, but we know they've recently gone through an audit 
of their own system. And there is uh, not a lot of transparency or public scrutiny of it. And I think uh, there needs to be a fair amount of work done in order to oversee the uh, IRB uh, and determine if, if the appropriate individuals are being selected to sit on these panels and make these determinations. And and this shouldn't just rest on them. Uh, also, the authorities, when they make arrests, really have to do a better job of ascertaining that the individual they are detaining is truly the one they're seeking. And uh, although it may sound compelling that the fingerprints match, in many cases you can have matching of fingerprints only to certain points as opposed to a more robust analysis. So there can, there, there is potential there for abuse. So there's a couple of points here in this litigation, which I think is interesting overall. Well, and the fact that the guy also submitted government-issued identity documents, yeah. including a passport that had been recently updated. He had two people vouching for his identity, uh, two others, a cousin and a friend, offering to post a $25,000 bond and watch over him. But that wasn't good enough. Now, the rap sheet might have played a role because he Absolutely. had... Uh, and so this is why he was considered to be less than credible it, because there had been forgery, I guess, in uh, he was convicted of forgery. Oh, I, I guess it was around 2014 or something like that. But uh, so therefore they might have had the, they might have uh, said his claim was dubious. Yeah, there, there was a history of a number of offenses, uh, including possession of uh stolen credit cards. Um, he was convicted of three counts of fraud under 5,000, a number of forgery counts, and uh, offenses of similar nature up to and including 2012. So those types of offenses do strike to the heart of the honesty and integrity of an individual. And certainly a panel uh, would be well within their, their jurisdiction and right to consider that when considering the, the evidence of an individual as to who they are. That being said, um, you have to weigh that against uh, simply fingerprint evidence versus uh, some fairly robust evidence, which is the lawful documentation that he had with the passport and, and identification documents, as well as two sureties who were meaningful, substantial people willing to post and supervise him. And there wasn't really a, a, an issue of risk. Yes, the fraud is concerning, but it's not an individual where there were allegations of uh, some violence, uh, terrorism-related, something of that, that nature. And I think in those cases, you have to err on the side of release for an individual rather than incarcerating them for eight, eight months in this type of case. All right. But you're saying the $12.5 that he's suing is excessive. We'll have to wait oh, yeah. and see the outcome of this one. Again, with Global News Radio legal expert Joe Newberger on another matter, Mandalay Bay Hotel owner MGM. They're suing these massacre victims, uh, the people obviously who survived, of which there were more than a thousand. Now, this is where uh, I'm guessing it's a preemptive move but the lawyers, or one of the lawyer uh, lawyers for the victims, is suggesting this is an outrageous uh, something bordering on the unethical because they're trying to make it a federal case, which they call uh, lawyer shopping, uh, rather than in the state of Nevada, where I guess uh, it still resonates quite uh, profoundly. What do you make of this lawsuit as a tactic? Well, first thing is I think it's horrible public relations because you can imagine if people are traveling to Las Vegas and they read this and they're concerned about the uh, the ethical and sort of the moral position taken by Mandalay Bay in trying to preempt these lawsuits for whatever reason, uh, one might want to choose another place to uh, have your vacation than necessarily there. So from a public uh, you know, sort of presentation standpoint, I think this is a really 
uh, flawed move. But what they are trying to do is exactly what you said. They're trying to do a preemptive strike to appear in federal court to uh, get a ruling that they are essentially exempt from any type of liability, especially because they had engaged some company to provide security and protection um, uh, against uh, terrorism and other type of attacks, which uh, company was certified by the Department of Homeland Security. So they're trying to uh, preempt any of these uh, victims and families from launching a lawsuit against them. So uh, there may be some merit to it, but it seems to me quite shocking and um, really a very poor public relations move, in my opinion. All right. So you think they do have a shot, though, at uh, potentially... Uh, obviating these lawsuits or claims against them, the parent company MGM. Well, they, they might have some some argument to say that their liability doesn't extend to such an unforeseen circumstance, and that they had security in place in order to detect individuals who could be terrorist related. And even though this horrific tragedy and crime is not per se labeled by the FBI as terrorism, they might be able to say we had sufficient security in place. That being said. They they should sit back and simply play defense, let the lawsuits come, handle it on a merit basis, take a look at what the claims are, and they may very well want to make settlements just from a, a humanistic and, and moral standpoint. So there may be some legitimacy if they went through this process of securing a company which was certified by Homeland Security in order to protect the, the people who are at Mandalay Bay and surrounding area. But Again, I just find this to be, I agree with the words of the lawyer for the victims. It's an outrageous move. All right. And finally, in the trifecta of lawsuits, Elon Musk. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He had, uh, during this whole uh, issue with Thailand and the kids in the cave, uh, wanted to send over a mini sub that he said, you know, yeah. uh, this was his way of helping out. But uh, there was a British volunteer who was instrumental in helping these these kids get out of there. Uh, he said it was a PR stunt, to which Musk replied in a tweet that's been since deleted that the guy was, uh, well, he called him pedo guy, a pedophile, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, yeah. is this the kind of thing that Musk might have to account for? Oh, yeah. It's horrible. I mean, and that was this was such a public event that people were following all around the world and rooting for these rescuers who are there for the sole purpose of rescuing uh, these uh, these children who were trapped with their coach and and an individual who was there who had real expertise in the cave itself and was instrumental in the rescue of these children because he made some remark about the sub being being a uh, publicity stunt to be called a pedophile on Twitter in open media uh, I think opens up Musk for uh, liability uh, it's defamatory it's slanderous. Uh, and it's highly, highly uh, inappropriate in these circumstances. So I, I would, I would not be surprised if this um, this individual would sue Musk over such a uh, you know malicious comment uh, on Twitter. Very, very bad move on his part. Right, because the guy was questioning whether or not this sub, you know, uh, it could probably not get inside this cave. And uh, as we pointed out, a PR stunt, and uh, Musk countered with "No problemo," adding, "Sorry, pedo guy, you really did ask for it." So we'll have yeah. to wait. <laughs> yeah, like you know, sure, send over the sub, but don't get into a Twitter battle. It's so Trump-esque; it's unbelievable. Okay, uh, that's another can of worms. We'll have to park for another day. Thanks for your time, as always, Joe. John, have a great show as usual. Take care. Thank you, Joe Newberger, Global News Radio legal expert with Newberger and Partners.